If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And it is Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith, taking a look at yesterday's federal budget and what it means for average Canadians. What we're looking for, for those who really want to come out of inflation, uh, come out of maybe student loans uh, with a little bit better life or prospects. And uh, there is that one question, are young people being forgotten about when it comes to this budget? Well, let's take a look at that with Max Fawcett being our guest, lead columnist for Canada's National Observer. Good morning, uh, Max. Good morning, Bruce. Uh, Got to ask you, uh, when it comes to young people, and those are that's the demographic we may be looking at for the future of this country, um, are we set up to help them in terms of this budget? Not as much as I think we should be uh, is, is the best answer I can give. I mean, there's, there's certainly some things in the budget that are helpful. Uh, you know, the, the stuff around student loan uh, forgiveness and student loan interest is, is helpful. Um, you know, the, the investments that we're making in clean energy, I think, are going to pay some pretty great dividends down the road uh, in terms of the economy and jobs and, and climate. But, you know, on the bigger issues, certainly housing is, is I think, top of mind for, for any young person in this country and has been for a very long time. There's, there's just not a lot in here. And, and as I said in, in the piece that I wrote about this, that the problem is that you know, the, the, the policies and programs that would, would need to be implemented to truly help young people don't pay out in four years. You know, they don't, they don't line up with the electoral cycles that we have. They take much longer to bear fruit. And, you know, for better or worse, probably worse, um, politicians are a lot more glued to that four-year cycle. So we get, we get little sort of tinkering at the edges uh, when it comes to the priorities of young people, but, but not the kind of wholesale improvements or, or major changes that, that really would move the needle. You know, Max, uh, this is where I'm kind of stuck with uh, the idea of helping uh, younger people. This budget assumes that a younger person is very, um, well, falls into this category. And let me describe that young person, the ideal young person that could be helped. There's someone that's going for a big post-secondary education. Uh, That's not everybody, not even most people right now. Uh, it doesn't even take into account that there are micro-credentials which are being pushed for in things like the tech sector now. It ignores that because those people are not taking on huge amounts of debt. But those that are taking on the debt for the big degrees, which may or may not lead to a job, maybe it helps out. Also, it uh, assumes that there is going to be some prosperity linked to the clean culture and greening things. I don't know if that's the case. I don't even know if that's a priority for many young people. What do you think? I absolutely think that that addressing climate change is a priority for young people. We've seen that in you know thousands of polls at this point. It's they're the ones who are going to have to pay the cost down the road of, of climate change and uh, you know the, the lack of action that we've seen taken on that over the last little while. So they're definitely uh, invested in that and and. 
you know, again, there's, there's all sorts of data out there, all sorts of reports. Clean Energy Canada came out with one a couple of days ago saying that there's actually uh, more jobs in the clean economy for Canada than there is in the oil and gas and fossil fuel economy. So the, you know, the notion that, that, you know, the transition to cleaner energy is not going to be a financial or economic win for Canada doesn't really hold up to scrutiny. But the, the challenge is that those benefits uh, are all sort of clustered down the road in, you know, 2035, 2040, 2050 and beyond. And, you know, again, it, it, it's very difficult for politicians to sell uh, policies that, that link rewards to people decades in the future when voters are much more concerned about what's happening in the here and now, you know, the next six months, the next year, the next two years. So, you know, that is the challenge. I, I think the government is doing a pretty good job on the on the climate and energy front. The, the one that troubles me is, is housing, um, you know, because housing is, is something that affects everyone, regardless of, you know, where they go to school, what they choose to do with their lives. We all need a roof to put over our head. And as anyone who's tried to do that in you know, places like the greater Vancouver area or Toronto or, or other parts of this country have found, it's getting increasingly difficult. Uh, and it wasn't that easy uh, even in the recent past. So I would have liked to have seen much bigger moves uh, made on that front. And the fact that they weren't, I think, just speaks to the power of, uh, you know, the homeowner, uh, you know, which I admittedly am one, but, you know, the, the voters who don't want to see the equity in their home go down, which is kind of what we need to see if we're going to make housing more affordable in this country. I agree with you when it comes to housing. Uh, but I also want to pick up on this point about uh, jobs. And you mentioned clean economy jobs. Uh, if I was coming out of high school and didn't have the marks to get into post-secondary education, traditionally I could look for really good paying jobs, union jobs, uh, in the resource sector. I could even go and work uh, in Fort McMurray, possibly uh, on the rigs. Uh, what sort of clean jobs offer that sort of money to people that don't have the extensive education or the ability or desire for that education? Yeah, honestly, I would say that the days of, of people who are high school graduates or, or even uh, high school dropouts making 180 grand a year are, are probably over. That's not the doing of any government here in Canada. That is a global economic reality that is unfolding before us, uh, you know, uh, powered by technology, powered by concerns about climate change. And, and we really have a choice. We either adapt or we don't. Uh, as to the jobs that are, are in the clean energy economy, you know, there's lots of jobs that are uh, for tradespeople, for people with, with, you know, that don't go to university, that don't want to go to university. And I totally understand that, um, in, you know, in terms of installing, maintaining sort of clean energy infrastructure, there is a, there is a trillion dollar build out of these assets that needs to happen in North America that is the biggest economic opportunity of the 21st century. And we should be participating as much as we can in that. And, and again, there's lots of great jobs uh, there for folks. And, you know, jobs, by the way, that don't require people to go and live in camps in northern Alberta where, you know, there's problems with, with substance abuse, where you're, you're far from your family. Sometimes you have to travel across the country to work there. With clean energy, you can work in your own community. You can work you know, where you can live in your own home, be close to your kids. I think that has huge value for a lot of people. And, and maybe you leave a few dollars on the table compared to the oil sands jobs of the past. But, you know, make no mistake, those jobs are going to be in the past. Thanks for being with us, Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith. We've been talking about the federal budget from yesterday in all its glory, the different parts of it. And one of the big things in here 
is, of course, the extension of the dental care national dental program for many people as part of the health impacts in the budget for this year. Let's bring in Kim McRail, who is a professor in the UBC School of Public of Population and Public Health. Good morning, Kim. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. When it comes to this budget, well, nice to have you in here. Kim, when it comes to this budget on the whole, and when you take a look at protecting the population, Canadians right across the country in terms of health, how would you give uh, this budget a score? What what score would you give? Well, I'm, I'm not sure I want to uh, score the budget except to say that I think it's pretty well what would have been expected given the announcements um, not too long ago about the the health negotiations between the, the federal minister of health and the and provinces and territories for the sort of existing Canada Health Act and other um, considerations. So that that what we saw in the budget now was what we've already heard about a few weeks ago there. So now the new thing is the the dental care, as you noted. Absolutely. And uh, Christia Freeland uh, made a big point in that dental care. I'm going to play a clip of what she had to say about it and then uh, bounce this off you in terms of uh, what it actually means. Here's Christia Freeland. We will ensure that every single Canadian can rely on a world-class, publicly funded, universal health care system. One that is deserving of its place at the very heart of what it means to be Canadian. Yeah, she made no bones about it, and uh, this is part of what she said for the actual dental plan announcement. I am so proud to announce the creation of a new Canadian dental care plan. By the end of this year, by the end of 2023, we will begin rolling out a dental care plan that will eventually cover up to 9 million uninsured Canadians. Well, Kim McGrail, professor in the UBC School of Population and Public Health, 9 million Canadians who are currently uninsured a drop in the bucket, or is this uh, a good thing in the right direction? Yeah, it, I think it is the right direction given the way that they've decided to roll this out. So the focus first is on people who don't have private insurance coverage through their employer for dental services. So we're not trying to provide public coverage. People already have that coverage in place. Um, and then the other part is the way they've rolled this out is starting with um, younger kids and then moving to older kids and then moving to people with disabilities and um, uh, older adults and then um, to the entire population who doesn't have coverage. So I, I think it's been a very, um, and I'm sure you, you, you could debate the specifics, but it's been a very um, clear uh, and transparent way that they've decided to roll out the plan. Many Canadians, and I'm surprised by this, uh, I've always been fortunate myself to have dental coverage, uh, but many Canadians really don't. And it's not just uh, your your teeth. The dentists are really a front line for uh, many other health uh, issues, aren't they? They can be, for sure, because sometimes dentists will see something that um, makes them suggest that you should um, go on and maybe visit your doctor. But, but the fact is that we, I, I think, would... I would say that we've made a bit of a mistake in thinking that the the oral health or your dental health is somehow completely different from the rest of your physical health. It's really been connected. And, and way back when we started um, Medicare in the 60s and 70s, uh, there was a, 
a real push to include dental care, at least for children. At, at, and at the time, that didn't happen. But it was it was definitely part of the original conversation. Canadians like to say we've got uh, a fantastic health care system in this country, and it's a reason to come to this country, uh, maybe even immigrate to our country. But how do we stack up in terms of dental care and other health care uh, with other G7, G8 countries? I'd say probably middle of the pack. I think that but this plan will help us um, move forward and, and be um maybe closer to the the uh, better end or the higher end of what, what the coverage provides, especially once we get to the point where it's actually rolled out to everybody um, who, who is part of the plan as, as it's um, decided now. And the big thing is, of course, the rollout. And as you mentioned, there will be other groups that come on board with this as we go further into the National Dental Care Plan. What else could we see in maybe future budgets? Would you like to see to protect Canadians' uh, health right across the board? Well, there's been long discussion about pharmacare and, and, and better um, coverage for um, prescription pharmaceuticals. And again, some people don't have as much coverage as, as others in that case. Um, and then I, there's still a, a, an enormous issue with um, home and community care services and making sure that we actually have a, a good pathway and, and coverage for taking care of people as they age and, and become less able to be independent so there's we, lots, of, lots of opportunity so there still are those opportunities and that's something that i continue to hear especially for canadians that end up getting older uh and maybe we're not quite up to par compared to some other countries in taking care of our elderly is um is that what you're seeing in terms of uh, uh pharmaceutical care yeah, it's, part of it is pharmaceutical care. Part of it is um, fixing the primary care system, which is, uh, of course, the entryway to a lot of these other services. And then also some investment in the in the services that are not necessarily provided by the healthcare system, but that actually can help people remain independent and living in their own homes, so that we can uh, um, maybe help people um, age more uh, the way that they wish to, and uh, according to their own individual choices. Where are we with the research? You're at UBC right now, but what are we finding out and what are we embarking on to find out? Um, well, I mean, I think one of the things we need to make sure we understand is what the, the needs of the community are and where they're not actually being met. And that could, again, be in the, the space of primary care or or aging. And, and of course, a, a lot of this comes down to um, the Canadian public as the payer for our healthcare system. But the choices we make in how we finance and deliver services really just determine who is responsible for how much payment. And so um, if, if right now what we're saying is if you are sicker and need more services, you pay more, then that's a little bit different than the, the bargain that we have with hospital and physician services where we, we pay into the tax system and then we get what we need without regard to um, what we can afford. So it, it, it's about changing, I think, a bit of that conversation about what we actually want to provide as a society and how we want to take care of each other. The conversations and the priorities are important. Thank you so much for sharing your time. Thanks for having me. And it is Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith on another beautiful sunny day in most areas of the province. Yeah, wow, it's going to continue again tomorrow. And that's just good news. Spring is definitely here and waiting for that first day over 20 degrees. Still 
That has not really set in, but looking forward to that one. You know, there is one topic that is still getting a lot of attention, and this is not the right type of attention. It is safety when it comes to our streets. We've had that Starbucks incident on Sunday afternoon, broad daylight, where somebody ended up losing their life. You know, they woke up in the morning uh, ready to have a great day with their wife, their new, uh, not newborn, but child in a stroller going out to a Starbucks in Vancouver. And at the end of the day, we have a terrible, deadly, fatal stabbing with uh, many people witnessing this. And this is our city. This is Vancouver. It's something that definitely should not be happening. And there is still reaction, including reaction from the family. Like Krista Dow over at Global News had a chance to touch base with a mother who lost her son, a 37-year-old man, in this stabbing. The grief and emotion here is palpable as Paul Schmidt's parents, Kathy and Stan, and their partners, Russ and Pauline, see for the very first time the outpouring of love and support for their son. Kathy Schmidt, while not ready to speak on camera, told Global News over the phone earlier her son dedicated his life to his wife and three-year-old daughter. It's been extremely difficult. We've, we've lost our son and... Um, it's devastating. Paul had a great life. He lived for life. He lived for his family. And to have that ripped away from him is just cruel and um, unacceptable. According to Kathy, Paul was with his wife and toddler at the coffee shop for Sunday treats when he was attacked, allegedly after asking the suspect not to vape near his daughter. The suspect, 32-year-old Inder Deep Singh Gossel, was arrested at the scene and remains in police custody. Since community members have stepped up to support the family, the family grateful for all the support and says it also sends a strong message. It really helps us to move forward. They have a long way to go witnessing what she saw, losing her her life partner. You know, and it's also a statement. And uh, people want change. People want justice. And uh, I believe part of this, outpouring of support involves that. It's heartbreaking and we are, we're, we're coping, we're, we're trying to deal with it. Is very true. Fear and frustration, those are the two terms that I used in talking with Keith Baldry just in the last half hour. But people do want justice. And where does that justice come from? Is there a role for leaders when it comes to public safety? And what is the connection between some very real things like homelessness, addiction, mental health, and of course, public safety? The Premier has come out with his own plan for the downtown east side, and that plan is to combat housing. But do you take a look at that in isolation? We don't know all the details, of course, of this uh, one case outside of Starbucks, and that's going to be determined before the courts. But we do know that there are connections between many circumstances, and there must be some sort of role that we need to be taking uh, some sort of responsibility or culpability. Let's bring in Eleanor Sturko, Liberal MLA from for Surrey South and a well-known uh member of the RCMP for many years. 
Eleanor, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, When you hear this story, I mean, I'm caught. I'm still emotional hearing a mother talk about the loss of her son. That's a public safety issue. And, you know, when emotions run high, we want action. Is there action leaders can take? Are we taking that action? What do you think? Well, first of all, my heart absolutely goes out to Paul Schmidt's family. It's it's almost unimaginable that something like this could happen, but unfortunately we're seeing uh, this is just more of what's been happening lately, uh, particularly in places like Nanaimo, Vancouver, Prince George, and, and sadly across the province. And no, I, I don't think that enough is being done right now, and there definitely are things that could have been done. Um, and I'll want to remind people that on April 28th of 2022, last year, a police act review uh, was completed, and the majority of that review had recommendations and information about um, mental health um, and people's interactions with police. And there were a number of recommendations made by that Police Act Review Committee um, that dealt with reviewing the Mental Health Act and things that could be implemented to make the community safer and to reduce the number of times that people with uh, mental health and addictions issues and very complex issues would become entangled with the criminal justice system and to provide better outcomes for the public and for people suffering. And still, we have had no action from this government on those recommendations. Why is there no action? I mean, this is something that is politically expedient to seize on. Uh, I mean, now we've got pictures out there circulating on social media. We've got the most horrific attack we've heard of. And this is after we've already had the topic making headlines for the past year and more. Where does it stop? Bruce, it's a good question as to why this government chooses not to implement those recommendations. That's a question for our former attorney general, our former housing minister, and now default premier, David Eby. You know, um, as an opposition, we can make as many suggestions we can bring forward. For example, I brought forward Mental Health Act reform legislation and a private member's bill. But the power lies in this government's hands. You know, I often see the people of Twitter getting upset when I criticize the government and telling me I need to bring, you know, stop complaining and bring forward solutions. We are bringing forward solutions, but the responsibility and the power lies in the hands of this premier. And every day that goes by where he doesn't call up legislation that talks about reforming the Mental Health Act or that he doesn't implement the recommendations of things like the reforming the Police Act, um, this is on his shoulders. And, And he is the one that needs to answer as to why he continues to, you know, make announcements. And yes, some of the announcements, they're important announcements, like looking at a bail reform, looking at things that we can do to make sure that people who um, are entangled with the criminal justice system have supports. But what about crime prevention? You know, most of the things they've announced really deal with things that happen after someone's already become a victim in British Columbia. And that's not acceptable. We're talking with Liberal MLA, Surrey South MLA, Eleanor Sturko, about uh, safety, public safety in general, and about other issues tied to it, like addiction and homelessness. You know, when we talk about the downtown east side, and that's just one area, but uh, in terms of a preliminary plan, well, we had uh, Minister Kalon was appointed the new housing minister in the last cabinet shuffle, and then Premier Eby took on the responsibility himself for uh, taking a look at the downtown east side. Uh, That was odd to me. What do you make of that? 
you know, I'm not sure um, what makes the premier think that he needs to take over from uh, Minister Callan, why he also felt that he should bring in uh, Lisa Helps. The reality is, is that he's had an opportunity um, to do more to help people in the downtown east side to implement recommendations made, for example, um, in a plan proposed by Dr. Julian Summers from Simon Fraser University in 2021, looking at ways of addressing street homelessness. And, and yet he hasn't done that work. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, why someone who was an advocate who worked on the street doing uh, one-on-one work to advocate for people on the downtown east side as part of Pivot Legal Society, he surely would have been over the last five years in a terrific position to bring forward change, to really make a difference, and yet the situation's only gotten worse. So from our point of view, um, as the opposition, we've brought forward um, our plan, Better as Possible, which has um, the measures that we would take to provide compassionate care for complex mental health needs. Um, And we had already said this could be an open book test, and we don't mind if the um, government would steal, you know, copy off our test page. We want to share these ideas because we believe that this is the right pathway forward, looking at ways not to continue to put people into the same situation they're in, not keeping people necessarily lumped into the same place that they are without services, but by ensuring that we let people come back to the communities where they want to be. Uh, One of the studies and some of the research done by SFU was that they had interviewed people on the downtown east side and 100% of the people who they interviewed said that if they were given a housing opportunity to leave that area where they are street entrenched, that they would leave that area because they want to reconnect with their own community, especially where they had children involved. And to be able to, for most of them, they wanted to be able to gain employment because many of them had already served periods of time of at least a year or more where they had jobs previous to the situation they were in. So we need to provide more opportunities instead of just lumping people in SROs where they're clearly not receiving the types of supports that they need. Um, And this government is failing in that regard. It's continuing to warehouse people without adequate supports, which is why we're continually in this perpetual situation that we're in. We're even, for example, when people are getting help at Redfish, which offers tremendous complex care and is a great model, but then there's nowhere for them to go after. There's no next step in this province. And so people end up either getting discharged back to a homeless shelter or back to the same entrenched lifestyle that brought them into trouble in the first place. So it's a complete failure, in my opinion. And, you know, it's not the right way forward. We need a complete change to the system uh, of care. We need an all-systems approach, which includes every ministry. Bruce Clackett in for Mike Smith. We've been talking about public safety and that terrible situation outside of Starbucks and still the pain that we continue to suffer as we think about what happened to a 37-year-old man stabbed to death right outside a Starbucks on a Sunday afternoon, late afternoon, in broad daylight. Our guest is Eleanor Sterkel, Liberal MLA from Surrey South. We'll go right to your phone calls because there are quite a few of them. Malcolm in Vancouver, your thoughts? Well, here's my thoughts as I sent to your screener. Uh, We have all these people um, that are lawyers that seem to want to run for political office, regardless if it's uh, provincial or federal. Why can't they sit down, get rid of the ideology that's blinding them, and sit down and come up with the rights, come up with the laws that will not only enshrine with the Charter of Rights, because everyone says, well, they have the, the Charter of Rights protects them. Well, nobody's protecting the victims like Mr. Schmidt. 
So yeah, okay, I see get, your point there, Malcolm. Appreciate the phone call. Eleanor Sturkle, what say you? Well, I think he raises a good point, and I think that at the heart of what he's talking about is sitting down in a in a nonpartisan way and getting some actual great legislation together that will help people. Legislation like the things that was recommended under the Police Act review to deal with mental health, and I think. Um, you know, we're more than willing to bring forward legislation that we think is going to help. For example, I did bring forward a private member's bill to um, do an amendment to BC's Mental Health Act, but it's going to take willingness on the part of David Eby and his government. So this opposition has already voiced that it's more than willing to collaborate and to help bring forward solutions to what's happening uh, on the streets right now. You mentioned, Bruce, before the break, you could hear the emotion in my voice, and I'm frustrated because... We do bring forward ideas. We have been asking um, this government to take action. The ball is in their court. And I I want British Columbians to know that it's not uh, due to a lack of willingness to cooperate and to collaborate on behalf of your opposition. Uh, The ball is clearly in David Eby's court. Let's go to Rom in Port Moody. Rom, are you frustrated? Uh, You'll have no idea how frustrated I am, actually, because... um so now here's the thing. You need to give me a little bit of time, Bruce. And thank you very much, by the way, for the great show. The problem is our uh, leaders, regardless of the party they represent, by the way, this was with liberals and is with NDP, regardless of their party. What they do, they choose the easiest missions. Instead of taking care of the people, they want to take care of the environment without paying attention to the people that are supposed to live in it. So that's where things go haywire. Take care of the people first. And that actually starts with all of the trigger points. Fix those trigger points. People are frustrated. They are mentally ill because of financial pressure, unaffordability, lack of jobs, lack of everything. And now we are taking care of environment. Well, take care of the people first who are supposed to build and live in that environment. Rom, I appreciate the phone call and I hear the frustration also in your voice. And as you detail, there are many different factors that have to be considered and it doesn't necessarily fall into political stripe. want to get in another phone call here. Go to Maple Ridge and Ross. Ross, what's on your mind? Well, this, as everybody is aware, has stemmed back for quite a few years back into the 80s. I sat on a hospital board here in the uh, Haney Maple Ridge area at the time when the NDP decided, well, let's just close Riverview and send everybody home. The family value will love to take them into the house. We told them at the time, this is a, a really stupid idea. We got a group of people from across the province, all members of local boards, hospital boards, and reminded them this is a dumb idea, but they went ahead with it. Well, the aftermath is what you're seeing in South Surrey. And it's someone, doesn't matter which political party, like the last speaker just said, has to step up and do the right thing. Appreciate it, Ross. Stepping up and doing the right thing. Uh, is it political? Does it fall down to political stripe, Eleanor Sturkel? I think that there are a lot of things that do have to do with um, our beliefs politically. Our party has uh, definitely said that we would um, look at things like involuntary care with regard to addiction. This is something that early on David Eby also said that he would consider and then backtracked on that after he received some pressure from people in the public. 
But we have to look at all the options. And I think that there should be nothing left off the table in terms of exploring options for keeping people safe. And that means both the individuals who are currently suffering and the public. We need to protect the public. And I think it is getting to a tipping point where um, people are feeling like the uh, you know, safety of the general public, community safety, communities. Mike is off today. I'm Bruce Claggett in the chair. Thanks for spending this portion of the morning with us. So it is spring. You can tell the weather is a lot nicer this week. Blue skies in most areas. And that's going to continue right through tomorrow. Time to think about all those things that have to do with spring. Oh, like the flowers in the garden, getting out for walks, and spring cleaning. Yes, spring cleaning, it is that time, not just uh, our garages, but what about our personal or mobile devices? You see, spring cleaning can take on a whole new kind of way of looking when you're talking about safety and security, your digital security. And our guest is with the Better Business Bureau, Nisha Hody. Thanks so much for joining us. And a good warning and some five things, uh, five steps to actually take. And we'll run through some of these when it comes to spring cleaning and your cell phone or your iPad. It's something we have to take seriously. Why? Well, thank you so much for having me. And really, why is because it's so easy for us to leave all of these breadcrumbs about ourselves all over the Internet and our devices. And it's also that we're not very good about how we dispose of our devices. We're often just saying, oh, well, it's old, it's broken, it doesn't turn on anymore, and into the garbage it goes. But the reality is is that digital files are held in these devices and information is held. And so it's really important that we do that digital decluttering when we do our spring cleaning this year. It sure is. And I got bit by this on Twitter, had to actually change a Twitter account to at Bruce on air after, uh, you know, having my full name because I got bit by this whole thing. And if I had a uh, spring cleaning, it may have helped. Let's go through some of those points. You mentioned the purge of old digital files. What are we talking about with that first one? So, I mean, it's really, this is kind of going through your files on all of your, whether it's your laptop or your tablet or your phone, but things that are old, old emails, old documents, anything that you don't need, getting rid of that. But this also goes into your email, right? Newsletters, mailing lists, alerts that we get that we just no longer need. Um, honestly, Gmail is pretty good about that. It even reminds you like, hey, you haven't read this newsletter in a while. Should you unsubscribe? Um, removing information in your accounts that isn't needed because we save our credit cards to websites and we save our passwords and it may be time to go in and delete that um, financial information anywhere that you have financial information online really think about does it need to be here i mean there's two reasons for that it'll protect your your banking information and it might even stop you from shopping if you if you've already stored your credit card and you're like oh well just buy now um so just that's a kind of a basic easy thing to do um it's health then, cleaning you know, <laughs> it doesn't yeah, it sound is, all that cleaning. fun but it's important isn't it no, and we just say, you know, set aside an evening and pick one area. Say, you know what, I'm going to look at my emails tonight, or I'm going to look at my apps, and that goes to the next one. Your phone 
there are so many applications that we put onto our phones. So there are, you know, your maps track everywhere you've been and you've got Bluetooth and microphone and cameras on. And so there's a number of things you can do here. You can go your applications on your phone and you can change the settings. You can say like, hey, no, I don't want you to track everywhere I am. Or no, I don't want my microphone on for all of these apps. You know, keep it for the ones you need and, and adjust the other ones. But also take a minute to consider, are all of these apps really needed? Sometimes we download something for a moment in time. Time, and then it just stays there. Um, and, and, you know, consider removing that when you don't need it anymore. Why do we want to remove old apps? What's the, uh, the risk here? Well, the thing is that every application is is holding some of your information, and it just depends on what you put in there. Sometimes it's just as simple as your name, your address, and your email and your phone number. But an address and a phone number and your full name is a lot for identity theft. That's already getting you halfway down the line, right? And then often there's been some type of credit card or financial information put in. So if you've made a purchase through that app, or say it was even just an airline app, and you put in your credit card for an in-app purchase, you ordered your food on the airline, or you you know, ordered the, 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 tel- the internet, that might still be stored. And so if this gets compromised in some way, that information is there and readily available. So you just want to be mindful. Does it need to be there? Is this still something I actively use? We're talking with Nisha Hody, BBB Communications Director, about spring cleaning when it comes to our mobile devices, our uh, digital devices, I guess computers too, not necessarily mobile. But um, taking time to make sure that we're getting rid of things that may be more of a security risk than anything else. Uh, When it comes to disposing of some of those electronic devices, our old outdated iPhones and and such, uh, there's also, that's number three on the list. A bit of a warning with that one. Absolutely. So, I mean, as I said earlier, you know, you've got an old laptop that no longer works anymore, or perhaps you're, you know, your old phone and you you just think, oh, I'm going to toss it. I've transferred the information. It's done. But there are actually, um, there's often still information that's still stored and can be retained even after you think you've deleted it. So, you know, any type of smart watches and phones, et cetera. There is uh, the ERA, so the Electronic Recycling Association, that does electronic device wiping and shredding. So find a trusted vendor where you can drop them off and know that they will be appropriately wiped and disposed of so that it's not kind of going into a landfill or into your trash where someone else could grab it and find information on you. And it sounds silly, but you think about, uh, we've talked about it before, you know, dumpsters diving for mail and getting your information that way. Electronic devices hold so much more information than a piece of mail. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes we forget that an old device is just uh, put somewhere kind of as a backup just in case our current device uh, fails us. And then it ends up in the car, maybe. Car gets broken into. Who knows? Uh, So disposing of them. Yeah. Oh, this one. Uh, This one also sounds like a hassle, but I think we have to be reminded it is important. Take inventory of our passwords. Oh, yeah. So this one I know nobody wants to do. You want to have one password for everything because you'll remember it and it's easy. Well, here's what happens. You have one password that got hacked in one spot. And then they kind of go through your laptop or your mobile device and say, hey, where are all the other sites that this person logs in? Let me try this password. Click, 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 click. And now they've opened up everything, right? So you don't, you want to have different passwords for different things. Don't just have one password for all of your financials because, again, you open one, 
You're going to be able to open them all. You definitely, so when you're creating password, try to think of a passphrase, which is basically a, a number of words put together that make a password. So you can use letters and numbers. If you want to say, I am a Canucks fan and Canucks is with the at symbol and the S is the dollar sign. Like try to, try to add ways to make it more complicated. Also turn on your multi-factor authentication. I know it's a hassle, but many of the banks are now requiring it. Um, what that does for you is that say you lose something, you know, you, you lose your phone and someone's trying to log in because they've gotten access to your phone. By, sending, by creating multi-factor authentication, they have to go somewhere else to approve that it is you. And so just be, just be aware that creating that is really to protect you. And it's not just double-factor identification now. Sometimes uh, they're recommending three, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It is becoming more and more, um, you know, kind of recommended to have multi-factor. So two, three, four, whatever it might be. It really depends on how deep the information that's held in that kind of app or that website or that particular um, account is. So you really want to consider that. Your banking, uh, you definitely want to protect that. Nisha, the final one here, refreshing your online presence. What does that mean? So this is a little bit of a different type of decluttering. This is really saying, does what I have on you know, online, continue to represent who I am. You know, perhaps you've finished your university degree and you're off looking for your first corporate job and you think back and you say, well, maybe I don't need to have all these pictures of us, you know, uh, on the weekends on my, on my social media. Or maybe I've moved on from this job, you know, something that's embarrassing or no longer represents you. Or maybe it's just old contacts and old information. Updating what your online presence looks like is really important for you as you've moved through phases of life and also just to keep things relevant and current and to remove kind of old information. I'll give you a, a funny anecdote yeah. of myself. I came out of university and, and this was the age of Facebook albums and digital, you know, cameras where you had to upload everything. And so every night had a, a, you know, X number of photos and all your friends tagged. I realized at some point, and, you know, a few years after university, I probably had close to a thousand photos posted on my Facebook. I put everything on private. I just took everything off because no one in the world needs to have a thousand photos of me and my friends. And so there, there is a learning that comes from this with time and age that, you know, you want to be mindful of what you're putting out there and how much information, you know, maybe you posted something at a time and maybe it's time to take that off. So, you know, take a take an account of your digital presence, you know, Google your name, look at your social media, Consider what photos and posts still need to be there and if they continue to represent who you are today. These are great things to think about. Thanks uh, for sharing the five list. I love that. Uh, if somebody wants to reflect on the list, is it available on your website? It is. Just visit bbb.org and you will be redirected to us. There is a, a link to digital spring cleaning and how to take action to stay safe and secure. So 